Hello and welcome to another story from the CRISPR drawer. This is episode 15, A Pickle That Procrastinates. This is the third time I've actually attempted to record this episode over the past 14 days, so... <laughs> Let's say I have been procrastinating, so I changed the name to Pickles That Procrastinate. You will eventually find out the uh, original name of what episode 15 was supposed to be, probably some other time in the future. I don't know when. But we got a little bit of a th thing here, and I'm going to try to make this a little faster and a little cleaner than the last two times I've done it. Well, we'll see. And I am recording this on August 15th, 20, uh, August 16th, 2018, Thursday. Sorry about that. Not the 15th, it's the 16th. Wow. <laughs> first attempt was August 1st. Then it was August 9th. Now it's August 16th. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't supposed to be a hiatus in August, but you know, when you don't have motivation and you finally get a vacation... You finally get time off from all of the busyness. So it's taken away, and you start relaxing and being stupid, and then, well, now it looks like chaos is coming in September, and the rest of August is going to be quite hard to do something in. All right, let's go straight to it today. Uh, let's start off with the social media thing that's going on, specifically social media's uh, bans and removals of Alex Jones, followed by Twitter's removal of Gavin McInnes and various other, uh, uh, well, Gavin McInnes uh, taken down from Twitter and YouTube, I believe. Uh, Alex Jones was taken from YouTube, Facebook. Uh, he got a seven-day ban from Twitter, and he was delisted on Spotify and uh, iTunes. Some of his stuff was delisted on iTunes and Spotify. I don't think they were all taken away. But, you know, the Alex Jones things happened all within 12 hours, which is interesting. It gives conspiracy theorists things to grab at because it happened so quickly. Granted, these companies, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, which is owned by Google, uh, Spotify, and Apple are all pretty much centered around San Francisco. They're all within 300 miles of San Francisco as a radius. So they all have similar corporate cultures. They probably have a lot of people interchanging between them in some way, shape, or form. And they probably communicate to each other. And then the uh, Gavin McInnes thing, which was interesting because uh, prior to Gavin McInnes getting taken off of, uh, I believe, YouTube and uh, Twitter only. I don't think he got taken off of Facebook. I'm not percent sure about that. that. I don't even think he used Facebook anymore, so I'll have to see. Uh, I watched the video on a, on CRTV, but it was uh, you know it was right after a he had Alex Jones on his on his program, and Alex Jones said, "You are next." So you know who's after that? Who are they going to go after next? Are they are we going to start seeing a conservative libertarian purge on Facebook and various other things, or is this because they just generally don't like the conspiracy theory and, and the, also the power that Alex Jones has and how he's going to decentralized uh, and alternative platforms. It's an interesting um, thing to deal with. Um, I, I don't know what the real answer is. These are private companies that are perfectly within the right to deny service to anybody for any reason. And, in fact, for no reason at all. It's like the, uh, a, you know, if a baker, a Christian baker doesn't want to make a cake for a gay couple, that's completely, like, from what I think, in his right to say. At the same time, a gay guy can completely say he's not going to make a cake for a Muslim or a Christian or somebody of an alternative lifestyle he disagrees with, if it's promoting that. If, the, if a gay guy goes into a Christian bakery and just wants a cake and doesn't have any symbols, it's like, I just want a cake, and the, no, and the, the, 
the guy at the work at the counter, like he doesn't know, like none of them know their background ideologies or beliefs or identities and all that BS. They're just two people having a transaction. It's not going to be a problem. It's once you start making it a, either a message or something does the person say like, well, I, I, I disagree with that. And there, there is a right to do so. You do have the right to deny service to people. At least you should. You should also be have the right for those people who you deny to boycott you and publicize why they think you're wrong. But they shouldn't be able to use the justice system to force you to comply with their ideas. At least, you know, from the U.S. I don't know about Canada. I think Canada would be technically easier for the... I guess a smaller, less powerful group to be able to argue that they should have the power in that situation. Well, I'm already off topic in a way, but going back to that, in the true libertarian belief, Facebook could say, I don't want you on. I don't think it's a good idea in the long run. Same with YouTube. It's like these guys bring attention to the platform. Now, when looking at the advertising from the traditional media standpoint, like Alex Jones probably isn't that, that good of a, uh, you know, person to be on, have on a platform for advertising. It's like, advertising companies probably approach and say, like, oh, you've got Alex Jones on. I hope our ads don't appear on his videos. And he's a nut job. And they're sort of right. <laughs> his whole thing about Sandy Hook is pretty despicable when you think about it. But And he's publicly apologized, but still. He can say whatever he wants, but he also has to reap the consequences of it as long as it's private interaction, as long as the government isn't saying, like, he can't say that and fining him for saying it. But then we got, you know, Gavin McInnes, who, in his video, like, he showed the last 10 tweets before he got taken out. So, and and his was interesting, because the notification of his, like, basically expulsion, they call it, he, he made fun of the fact that it's suspension. Like, suspension is temporary, and they just don't want me on the platform, so it's sort of, like, suspended forever is a, technically a ban, which is an expulsion. Uh, he's like, they don't give a reason. Reasons for expulsion was blank, and then please contact blah 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 to, if this if you think this is unfair, and do not make fake profiles, and we will t- block those. If we finally connect you. It's like, just admit it. Just admit you're taking them off because you disagree with them. Because the honesty, like we'd be okay. Okay, so we'll have to make our own thing. We'll have to make like uh, mines and gab. We'll have to go to those, or we'll have to go to other platforms that have much more of a defense of free speech and maybe isn't as monetized. And maybe that's the reason why these giant um, internet companies are having such problems because they need to monetize to make server space. And because they are so powerful and so centralized and because of the monetization, they need to make money to make sure they're able to buy and rent the server space they need to store this data they're having. That the uh you know the smaller advertisers who maybe wouldn't care they just want the thing out there aren't big enough to make that dent in making it working no which is why alternative platforms that view the belief of uh which are smaller more decentralized less powerful so one example is bitshoot which um uses peer-to-peer sharing of the videos to allow them to work so they don't actually need giant youtube server space like youtube needs tons and tons of servers Bitchup just uses other computers as a way to distribute the information, which is why I want to, um, you know, stories of the CRISPR drawer and Draws Consortium will have a Bitchup channel soon. Uh, you know, we won't be able to monetize it yet. There probably will be in the future, but they are free speech platforms first. They are also copyright defenders, but they also 
they believe in the fair the idea of the fair use and stuff like that but they also have to deal with the copyright stuff which i've been watching uh speaking of copyright i've been watching um copyright attorney leonard french who i support on patreon i decided i haven't watched a lot of his stuff in a while so i decided to do a big like over the last four days just watching through a bunch of his stuff and it, it's it's fun like i you know copyright law can be quite boring but boy does him and his live streams and the people he has talking with him like it brings in a pretty interesting uh thing so, like the scenarios he picks to deal with and other legal stuff it's you know that that's that is the future is we're no longer looking for a movie or you know a, a 22 minute serial we're looking for these things and uh, you know the interest is there and obviously people are there to support him so ads aren't being a problem patreon's now a big thing except uh who was it um somebody got taken off of patreon because mastercard didn't like him it was um oh yeah it's the it's the founder of jihad watch now that's an interesting thing because it wasn't patreon that didn't agree with him it was mastercard who is their you know who who handles their transactions who disagreed with him but his Ideas on and thoughts on Islam aren't even considered extremist thoughts in the UK, where you know, which have a lot harder level of. Um, they're a lot harder on people who they believe to be Muslim, like people who are criticizing Islam in the UK. Are it's a it's a higher burden, it's a higher standard to go to. Uh, well, actually, it's a lower standard than it is in North America and the US to say like, oh, that guy's an Islamophobe or. You know, he's an Islamic hater or Muslim hater. He's seen as a regular guy there. So there's that. Uh, but yeah, it, it is concerning, nonetheless, uh, that social media, which we have largely been addicted to, and by this addiction we've allowed ourselves to centralize it into a very few companies and a very few things, um, very few entities have massive control over the internet. And I think soon they are going to start dying out not like quick deaths but slow painful deaths where smaller groups take over regions you know it, it's the idea of the, having the mega corporation which eventually has to collapse under its uh under itself because it's too big and it promises too much we'll see like the internet seems to disprove a lot of things that make sense but whatever also uh yeah. yeah. And then we've got uh, another thing, uh, gun control. <laughs> We're going to take a look at Canada and U.S. gun control issues. So Canada, we've had recently multiple shootings, including um, in Toronto, the end of July, we had a handgun shooting that killed um, three people, I believe, uh, two young women and a mother, I think. I should actually look up the facts. Anyway, it was horrible the guy used a pistol to kill these people and he shot like multiple other people i think it was 18 injured in total which is pretty big actually let me let me clarify that i don't uh uh i want to know about this yeah july 22nd uh killed two wounded 13 uh eight directly okay so he killed two and he wounded eight others directly so that's 10 he actually shot and then and then five other people were injured 
through other means that he caused that wasn't directly related to him firing his gun. So maybe people running away, maybe shrapnel, maybe glass falling on people from bullets. Like, Okay. So why I'm talking about this is more along the lines of I read in, I just was on my on my phone looking at the news and looking at the various news sources and uh, I believe it's the Windsor record for Windsor, Toronto, for, for Windsor, Ontario, um, that wrote an editorial saying that we need a handgun ban in Canada now. So I read a part of it. I mean, I, re- I read the full editorial. I haven't spent too much time reading the actual story of the shooting, uh, which I should, actually. Uh, let's just quickly go to the... Let's just go to it right now. Uh, so, one thing they're saying is that the that they uh, that so that ISIS tried to claim responsibility for this guy's shooting, which now they're like, I don't think that's true. Um, he suffered from mental illnesses, which is interesting. Uh, of course, mental illness can be many things now. It's actually quite an umbrella term. But I, at the same time, it's like I can understand why people use that. It, it is a safe umbrella term, but it does mean a lot. Um, I don't know. Do they say if the handgun was legally purchased? Because that would be the interesting thing. If he, if he obtained his firearm legally or if it was an illegal weapon. Uh hate to use Wikipedia because Wikipedia is not the most reliable source, but uh, uh, so he committed suicide after a shootout. He had a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson semi-automatic pistol. So 40 caliber is, of course, the caliber which is made by, which is a Smith & Wesson uh, caliber. Uh, okay. Nothing too insane. So some people say that the gun was stolen. Some people say that the gun was uh, from gang-related sources. Some say it was from his, uh, where his brother had 33 guns seized in 2017. It may come from something like that. Interesting. So the weapon was obviously not legally obtained. So handgun ban would have not stopped this guy from possessing his firearm. And that's what I think I was trying to get at here, was that um, the idea of the handgun ban is to remove handguns from law-abiding citizens who go through the eight-hour non-restricted licensing training, pass the test, and then have to do the uh, four-hour restricted license uh, handbook, which is pretty much more about the legalities of having a restricted license and possessing a handgun and how to store it and getting the uh, right to transport certificate permit and... um, and knowing that you can store the handgun in one safe and you can't store the ammunition with it fit and, like, you can't store restricted weapons with their ammo in it. They have to be stored in two separate locations. By separate, I mean two separate safes that are locked or something like that. That are, like, things that at least you, um, as the licensed owner of the firearm and 
have are the only ones who have access to the keys. So I have a friend who's got a restricted firearms license. His wife does not know where the keys for his gun safe is. And you know that's that's a thing. Now, if she became a licensed gun owner, she could then know it because she would have had the licensing, and it would be a combined family safe to store the firearms at. And sort of things like that, where you have to go through this, and we and um, you sign a like a pretty much a, a warrant that allows the police to come and inspect. From I don't know how often that happens. I haven't heard it happening from anyone I know who has restricted a restricted firearms license. I know they've signed it and they are warned like it can happen, but I think the police are generally too busy dealing with legitimate issues than just checking on law-abiding citizens who are safely storing their handgun. And I'm not saying that there aren't some guys who aren't doing it completely right. There might be a guy who stores his ammo in just a cupboard or on top of a shelf where his kids can't reach it or something like that, but he has the gun locked away or maybe only has a trigger guard on it, trigger lock on it, which uh, I've seen how those can actually be broken sort of easily and picked kind of easily, so I'm not that confident about them. I would rather store them in a safe, a combination safe, which if somebody knows how to pick them by feel, like, you know, knows how to, um, you know, figure out a combination lock by feel, like, you're not going to do too much. And digital combinations, I don't know if they're that much better. They are, at least in theory. But as you can see, this guy committed his attack with an illegally obtained firearm. So a law-abiding citizen um, wouldn't have done this. It wouldn't have been illegally purchased. And if and the other problem with the idea of the handgun ban... So the idea of the handgun ban is that everyone who's committed a crime... Uh, let's take a look at the Dawson College shooting in Montreal in the uh, late 2000s. Because uh, I remember that one, or was it like mid-2000s, I think. Let's go with the mid-2000s. I can't remember the exact time. That guy actually legally purchased his weapons and had passed background checks and done all that. Those are the worst one, Those are the worst criminals because they are the ones who are perfectly fine until they do something. There's no suspicion. There's no way you could find out. Of course, in reality, there probably is because... The guy from Dawson College, as well as the various mass shooters in the U.S., they have documented histories of these people either self-isolating, going into depression, suffering from other, not just mental illnesses, but other illnesses, and and talking um, and communicating to set people in certain ways that are eerie, that probably could have been, like, they probably could have, the right re uh, agencies could have moved on them and maybe have... Uh, detained them or restricted their, their legality to own firearms or possess them or maybe at least even put an eye on them illegally. Now, I'm saying like this is legally like a judge has to sign off on this. I'm not saying that the police just start doing surveillance operations without legal, without warrants and stuff like that or without suspicion and probable cause. It's just like they just think like there's a slight suspicion there because this guy's now wearing a trench coat and jack boots and he likes firearms. It's like, well... Okay, how many of those guys have actually shot up places? I'll grant you that it's a little bit higher than the people who wear flip-flops and sandals and have, uh, you know, frosted uh, tips on their blonde hair and wear sunglasses glasses and have uh, dicky shorts all on all the time. Like, I have guarantee you that that's a smaller, like, the... I wouldn't say the goth, but the more depressed, like extremely like black trench coat guys with heavy boots, like have a slightly higher degree, but of course that can change.
some people don't do it. Some people who shoot up stuff. And then we have the um, issue of the guy, uh, the training camp that was found out in New Mexico, which isn't being talked about in the mainstream media, where this guy sacrificed his son and kidnapped like 11 kids and kept them in emancipated conditions with almost no food and water and trained them to shoot up schools. Like, that's freaking creepy. And there's more to that story, but I wanna I don't really want to talk more about it until it hap- until we know more about it. So maybe next episode I'll deep dive into that and fi- try to find out more about it. It's like that's a creepy story. It's almost like I don't want to say his name A because I don't want to say his name and B because uh, you know, don't want to give him glory and you know recognition or something like maybe <laughs> Thank goodness somebody noticed this and called somebody and made sure it got checked out. Because that's a scary uh, thing to think about. <laughs> Is a training camp for school shooters. Jeez, that's what the more, uh, I would say more leftist media has been saying. And some of the right-wing media has been saying about video games for years. Of course, every study has said that no video game has brought in a way, has increased aggression to commit school shootings. Now, I would say that being a video game player myself, I would like to agree with that. And I do generally agree with that. I do believe that video games don't increase aggression. But I think that you'd also have to make that a much longer-term study. Like, you couldn't just make it that one single thing. Like, you would have to do that study, all things equal, like the same, having a set group of people having the exact same school experiences. And, like, there's too many variables to make that a plausible study. So... Me being a gamer, could I see the potential of video games having an increased aggression reaction and on people? Yes, I can see that. But I think that's a like 1% change in somebody, and I think other things add up to make it much more common. And why it's not a legitimate thing to blame, because I think there are other parts of um, that equation about people, the the specifically the... Um, Younger, uh, mostly, uh, you know, a lot of them are graduate or almost graduate age, or either graduate age, postgraduate age for high school, like, so 17, 18 years old, uh, 16, 17, 18 year old males are the school shooters in the United States and Canada, typically. Uh, Dawson's College was a weird one because I think he was like 21, which are odd things. Uh, mass shooters can come at all shapes and sizes, so, like, the guy who shot up Las Vegas was. In his 50s, which that is, uh, investigation ended with almost no information for us, besides from that he did it. <laughs> and there's a lot of questions unanswered, which needs to be found out about that dude, um, about Las Vegas. But going back to the gun control um, fight about that, is that taking away a firearm from a, legal, from a legal citizen who's never done anything wrong and doesn't want to do anything wrong with it, seems like a very, very, very bad way of solving, of attempting to solve a problem, specifically when you know that most of the gun crime that happens in Canada, I don't know about the United States, but mostly in Canada, are weapons that are illegally obtained anyway, so they either stole them for somebody has, who has illegally obtained them, or crossed the border with them, or they've been illegal guns that have been circulating for years and years and stuff. It, it's just like, it, the genie of, of firearms is out of the bottle. And it ain't never going back in. The only way you can go back in is if somebody goes back in time, 
and stops the original development of gunpowder from the Chinese a thousand plus years ago. That's the only way it's going to work, is that we don't ever figure out chemical um, propellant for for, uh, small objects to be ballistically capable of injuring somebody beyond a certain distance. Of course, various other technologies are then going to be held back. And unfortunately, we're going to see... There's going to be various other things. Like It's not going to be the same world as it is today. That trade-off could change many things. It may only change two things. Who knows? I'm not going to play the alternate universe and try to figure out how much that would affect and what wars would have ended differently and X, Y, and Z and found out, like, would we be speaking English or would we be speaking Mongolian or would we be speaking Chinese or would we be, well, one of the Chinese dialects, either Cantonese or Mandarin or, you know, like, what, what is this? What would we be speaking? What would be the dominant power in the world today if gunpowder hadn't been developed? When I say gunpowder, I'm talking about the old-fashioned black powder, and then eventually all the derivatives all the way up to cordite and the technologies we're using today. But, again, the solution is remove a le- an object that's being legally used for fun and sporting purposes from a group of people who don't even commit the crimes anyway. Okay? You've got a group that commits almost zero crime, and your solution to stopping crime is to remove them from the equation. Remove them from the crime equation of them committing crimes. Like, well, there might only be 0.01% of them commits crime. So you've, remo- like, lowered crime 0.01% potentially. Is that worth taking away the rights for 32 million citizens over that? I don't think so. <laughs> the needs of the many are outweighed by the needs of the few. And that's a terrible way to go about it because then it can justify anything. Like, who is the many? Who is the few? Because then you can simply live by simple majority. Like, all you need is 50 plus 1. And by plus 1, I don't mean 1%. I mean one more than the other side has. One single person more in voting, and they can completely rule that. And that's the tyranny That's the tyranny that can grow from democracy. It's the tyranny of majority and the tyranny of the minority where the minority have an unequal power. It's, it's a scary thing to think about. Also in gun control, uh, 3D print firearms in the United States, which was really funny at the end of July which is why this is an old episode, <laughs> was um, Cody Wilson and the 3D-printed gun fiasco from his defense distributed company and how various states, I think it was 11 states in total, filed injunctions and, uh, to him actually posting back on his website. Of course, he did for a few days, and then he took it down. His lawyers are now fighting it, including the states of New York and New Jersey and various other and nine other states have sued to stop him from distributing uh, these 3D plans for 3D printed firearms, specifically for his liberator. Now, what's really funny is, is that when you realize what the internet actually is, which is both there's a light side and a dark side to the internet, the dark web already has this information and ain't going to give it up, and it's nearly impossible to get rid of from the dark web. And on the light web, it's on thousands of BitTorrent sharing websites and on thousands of directories, and it's spread all over the world, and people have, you know, the one minute it may have been up where nobody, where nobody really cared, Let's say 100,000 people download it. You may have stopped one distribution source, but now it might be anywhere. Your hope is, if you're the U.S. government, specifically these states, you sue and you hope that you win the lawsuit, which it doesn't look like you will because ITAR had more grounds than the states do on firearms laws. And because the Internet is not regulated by the states, the services that provide the Internet, the telecom services, is regulated by the states, but not the Internet itself is regulated by the states. Like, there's some that they can do, but California can't block a 
um, can com can by commerce block certain websites, but they can't block information websites. They could block commerce websites or demand that they pay taxes to California. But it would be weird. It's like um, the story. There was a story last year about how the Canadian Supreme Court was trying to stop an American company that had violated a copyright and patent law. Of um, well, well, the story was there was a, there was a Canadian company in BC that makes a like um, it's this sort of circuit board like thing. I can't remember exactly what it is. And they were had an American distributor. Anywhere the American distributor decided to make knockoffs of it, it, claiming it was still the real thing. And they had it made in China, and they look very similar. Uh, you'd have to probably take one apart and probably have to play with the programming so we can actually find the difference. There w- there, now, there is some s- differences. And the other way is that they were, license- they were selling them. The American distributor was selling them as if they were the licensed product from Canada. Now, they weren't. So they were getting all the profit from that, besides from the development of it, and they weren't paying the licensing fees to Canada. The Canadian Supreme Court said that it was within this company's rights that Canada should shut this website down from the global market because it's breaking Canadian uh, copyright law. Now, I, copyright law, because it is uh, supported by the Burns Treaties, does allow that to happen. Something I learned from Learn French, because most of the countries have a standardized copyright law. Copyright law. Some abuse that, some don't. Um, I think China is like sort of iffy on copyright law, specifically from North American sources. They're like, we sort of acknowledge that you have copyright, but if we can knock it off and make money through our communist uh, or communist supported activities like we'll do that and i think they do <laughs> i don't have firm evidence but we know that they work in separate ways and that they are a powerhouse in what they do um but then we also deal with um, patent law which isn't as shared and i think trademark law is a little bit better so i think trademark and patent law are weaker in treaty form than trade than copyright is but the, the thing was, the Supreme Court said that it basically that website can't exist, even though the website, the company is the U.S. The com- the website's hosted in the United States. It's not hosted by a Canadian front, and they aren't competing in Canada. They don't sell to Canada, and this company in Canada rarely sells to outside of Canada. But it was also the defamation of the brand, which I get that I'm perfectly fine with. But I didn't like the idea of the response was they can't. The American website can't say can't even sell it, can't even exist. Like, they can't have a website, period. What happens if they're selling an object, an item that isn't the copyrighted or, like, the infringed-upon property? What happens if they sell, like, you know, just spare spools of wire, just regular spools of 12-volt, 12, 12, uh, you know, 12-gauge uh, uh, electrical wire? They just sell those in bulk because they sold one of these little boards... They can't, that's, that means they have to lose that sale? Like, no, that's not right. I get the, the idea that they should not be able to sell in Canada where Canadian law is available to them. But the way it was written was weird. It was kind of like they can't do this for commerce. But there also was a fear that it doesn't take that long for the Canadian Supreme Court, which has largely started to interpret Canadian law and the idea of Canadian law as in what it should be versus what it was meant to be. Like what it should be based on 2018 values versus what the founders meant the charter to mean is they, they it gives them way more freedom to reinterpret things. And the concern is, is that they'll eventually come across a website that has some 
opinion that they don't like, and that's enough to ban it, even though that opinion is not based in Canada, is not for Canada. That's the fear. Now, the Canadian Supreme Court said in their writing that that was not going to be an issue, and the way that the um, Robbie Sow from uh, Reason looked at it is, like, sure, they wrote it in these ways, but the dissenting justices did say, like, it's weird that they didn't explicitly write that out. They said this probably won't be happening, and, of course, he's like, yeah, but we've seen, like, it probably won't happen, and then start, and then it does happen, because once the thought enters the mind, it's not that hard to push it farther down. No, no, I believe that Canada is going to claim that they can censor parts of the Internet. I hope not. If they do, they're going to come into a really hard battle because the crypto wars have determined that it's very hard to stop the sharing of information once it's out there. But going back to the um, 3D printed thing, which was really funny, was watching the American um, Democrat lawmakers, uh, both in Congress and Senate, show these things. Uh, one guy... I don't know his. I don't know the senator's name, or if he's a congressman. I don't know his name, but he's an older guy who had pictures of AR-15s with um, 3D printed lower receivers. So the um, trigger group and the magazine housing assembly was uh, was 3D printed, which you can already get those as sort of composite lowers from various other companies. So that's not that new. New. No. The upper receiver, bolt carrier, uh, buffer tube, uh, and the buffer in the buffer tube, the barrel, the sights on the barrel, the gas block, and the uh, gas tube are all still metal. So they haven't solved that yet. Like You could probably do a, a simple blowback system with, uh, with 3D printing technology. I don't think you could do uh, gas impingement, and I, I, I highly doubt you could do gas impingement. And if you can't do gas impingement, you probably can't do gas piston. Of course, now, when you realize that gas impingement based on the uh, AR-15, AR-10 model, is like the bull carrier is the piston. So it's like, it just means there's no operating rod besides from the carrier between gas impingement and gas piston system. But it's just really funny. Like, these guns are coming to you, a stadium near you, an airport near you. It's like, first of all, you're am you haven't solved the problem. Like, there's no plastic-based ammunition yet. Um, there's no plastic or composite-based primers yet. Um, you probably you can get plastic uh, projectiles and hardened projectiles, but they're not as effective as the real ones. So, copper, jacketed lead, and steel are still preferred, and they have terminal lethality. Plastic and um, even hard plastic ha can be dangerous, but the shock and the expansion and the heat might actually damage them to the point where they're not as effective. But you're still having a casing based in either brass or steel, which will set metal detectors. Um, you still have the firing pins, which as of right now, as far as I can tell, still require metal. Um, for the Air-15s, the uppers were still metal. Like You could build a Liberator where all the only thing that's metal is the pistol, is the bullet, um, the ca cartridge casing, and the, um, and the firing pin. But that's still going to be detectable by um, x-ray machines and metal detectors. And I suspect that the best way to solve this problem is that the 3D printing companies that make the, that make the uh, filaments for the plastic that you print on make them x-ray opaque. So when you put them through an x-ray machine, like they just show up. Like they are there, which is exactly what Glock did um, when they were introducing their uh, Glock 17. 
1986, that became a huge issue in the United States where the Glock 17 was like, oh, it's this plastic miracle gun. It's like, first of all, the slide and the barrel were still metal on the Glock 17. The ammunition is still metal on the Glock 17. The magazine is metal on the Glock 17. Now you can get um, Magpul and other company-made um, plastic mags, but you're still going to have the metal spring that makes the magazine work. Uh, see? Still need metal in there. And you still have the firing pin, which is metal. You still have the slide and the oper and the system of the uh, paddle. The trigger group was still metal. Like, yes, some of that stuff you could make plastic. Today, based on our current technology, you could absolutely make certain parts of those plastic. But probably would be radar opaque a lot like, well, not radar opaque, um, x-ray opaque. So on x-ray machines, they would show, they would light up like the 4th of frickin' July. Like um, the Glock 17 and various other polymer pistols, which have come along since. Um, which is interesting when they had the panic about that, how the ATF said like, there's no problem here because there's still no way somebody's carrying a a, uh, a like somebody could carry a lower um, lower piss part of the Glock, which is just like the the uh, the hand grip, the pistol like the hand grip and without trigger could go through a metal detector. Like nobody would find you on that. But you're not going to carry ammunition. You're not going to carry a slide. You're not going to carry a barrel. You're not going to carry a magazine with you. You're not going to have a trigger. You could solve the, the trigger problem, but you're still not going to get the ammo in there. So, you know, the the ATF said, like, this isn't an issue. Like, these aren't ghost guns. And, of course, um, then people point to the 90s uh, Clint Eastwood movie uh, uh, In the Line of Fire with John Malkovich trying to assassinate the president using a composite and uh, ceramic-based pistol, which can shoot two bullets, Um you know that that pistol, like the actual firing prop, need was made out of metal, and still had to be chopped up after the movie because the ATF was concerned that somebody might actually buy the prop and try to ma figure out a way to make it. It's like that prop was a prop that didn't work as well as it should have. It was only meant it was a single shot. Well, I guess it was a dual shot with um, and John Malkovich's character could only carry two and two bullets in a like oh, it was in a in a rabbit's foot. Um, sort of uh, trinket, which had a metal tube in the middle. Now you would now the way he gets around that is is that they give you a little tiny tray to put that in in the movie. In real life, you would have never gotten that. Um, they would have never allowed that. So your service wouldn't allow that today, and a lot of security companies won't allow that. Like you don't get a little tiny tray that you can throw your money in to go to uh, on the airport. Like when that doesn't go through the metal detector. Like that stuff goes through the metal detector and well, not through the metal detector, but through the X-ray machine. When you go into uh, the Statue of Liberty, same thing. Could you do that on a subway system that doesn't have security? Yeah, but you could just as easily transport a double-barrel sawn-off shotgun under a trench coat or an AR-15 that was chopped down into an SPR illegally or various other. Or carry three illegally stolen $300 street Glocks versus printing a $1,500 um, 3D pr printed pistol that is a single shot that you have to load every single shot in because you probably haven't figured a way to make uh, good plastic springs yet because I don't think we have really we've got limited of them they don't work that long probably 3D printing might solve that problem in a little bit but not right now and you're going to weapon that's going to degrade because of the heat and you're not going to have a high firing rate and 
people are probably going to be able to beat you down with your gun before you actually effectively use it. So that's my take on the 3D printing guns thing, is that, that until it actually becomes a legitimate threat and somebody uses it to commit a crime, which means that we're probably going to have to look at composite ammunition at that point, which I don't think um, is coming. The U.S. military is working on a sort of, like a half composite ammunition where it's just to reduce the weight of the ammo. But they're how they're doing it is they're figuring out where are the points where the weapon can physically where the uh, casing can be weaker than it needs to be and they're replacing that with a composite material they're still having like uh, it's combined material it's still like a metal and then it becomes a plastic for certain parts and then metal again like they're figuring out where they can safely make it plastic where it's not going to fail but there's still metal parts to that casing and yet the bullet's still metal so they haven't solved that problem yet I suspect that it would be easier for somebody to come up with a laser that might f cause physical damage to carry that into a into an event because, uh, well, even the laser would require a generator and probably metallic materials to make it work. So even that would pick up on the metal detector, if not an x-ray machine. So there's no, um, like, the, the, the fear of 3D printing is still not really there. And, of course, so, oh, sorry about that. So let's leave the gun control thing. That's like, you know, 3D printing's the way of the future um, for a lot of things, for a lot of technology and for a lot of nice things. We might eventually get to the Star Wars replicator, but probably not within my, our lifetime, boys and girls. So, you know, there, there's, there's things we're looking at. Great technology's coming away. Like, 3D printing allows for the usefulness of, um, you need a part right now, like, like, and the same with the idea of the soon uh, to become like in-house CNC machines. Like CNC cutters are amazing, and now you're able to get them certain size. Like another thing the Defense Distributed does is they're selling CNC cutters that are pre-programmed to cut um, 1911s out of stock, bar stock and stuff. That's cool. Um, not as cool as uh, 3D printing, but still cool. And I think we're looking at this this uh, technology where, as we go forward in the future, we're not looking at um, we're not looking at mass manufacturing anymore from like giant factories. We're looking at like mass manufacturing by small parts. It's like, oh, I need a uh, part for my cool trinket here that hasn't been made in twenty years. So what you do is you go online and see if somebody has scanned that part in and made a copy of it that works. You hope it will. That's probably going to be a big archival effort that's going to do that, which is going to be good in the long run for a lot of things. But when you look at how much plastic we have in our lives that, or things that could be plastic or stuff that breaks, that if we just printed a tiny little thing that could fix it, like there's a lot of stuff that could do this. Uh, so what else should I talk about? Uh, I, oh, yeah, another thing about the gun control thing in Canada was that the, uh, the Windsor Record also wrote about how they want... Um, wanted ammunition bans. And I, uh, the last time I recorded this episode, I talked about how pistol-caliber carbines, which are common, which are common in Canada because they are a way to get a pistol-caliber weapon system, which don't recoil that much, into a... Um, some of them are semi Some of them that are semi-automatic are considered restricted. Some aren't. But are, they basically become plinking, plinking toys. They're not useful for hunting, but they're not a handgun. Gun. So they're a little more accurate, easier to use but they're not a handgun. 
but they take handgun ammunition. So they take nine millimeter and forty Smith and Wesson. I don't think there's any forty fives available in Canada, and five seven ammunition. Besides from for the five seven pistol, which is rare in Canada, is like there's no carb carbine weapons you can get here. I don't think you can get a uh, uh, an FSP uh, two thousand. Like I don't think you can buy that. No, not P two thousand. P ninety. Like I don't think you can get the FSP ninety, which I wish you could because those that's a cool little pistol. But again, only in its original military guys where it's full auto with the cro- proper ammunition is that thing worth it. Otherwise, it's a plinking tool for that has barely that has only a little bit more power than twenty two uh, Magnum. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, and ammunition bans is like a way to basically restrict the supply of people, and of course. The problem, another thing with the ammunition ban is, is that 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 basically, first of all, there are reloaders in Canada that that's not going to hurt right now, but it will hurt later. That have that will be like, and the only way that it's going to work is if you ban ammunition and you say you have to turn your guns or else you're a criminal. It's like, do you really want the police going door to door knocking down guys who've never broken the law and their only thing is they they have a they bought a nine millimeter Beretta. Two years ago, when they got their pistol license, because they were gonna, they shot at the range, and it's just sort of been a thing there. It's like they go to the range every month to shoot twenty or thirty rounds, and they put a pack in their safe, and that's all they really do with their lives. And do you really want to just restrict ammunition? Because if I was an ammunition company, I would find a way to reduce sales of ammunition to the private company, to the uh, public companies too. So for let's say. Uh, the RCMP wanted to buy ammunition. If I was Winchester and I found out I couldn't sell 9mm or 40 caliber, uh, 40 Smith & Wesson in Canada, well, I, to civilian market, I would not be uh, ramping up orders for the RCMP. I would say, like, huh, well, you guys will just have to take what we'll give you, won't you? It's, we're not going to treat your order seriously because you're not buying big enough for us to consider Canada an investment place. Now, I highly doubt companies do that all the time. I mean, Barrett did that to California and... Um, it's more common to see that in the United States where U.S. companies will, like, restrict sales to various states out of political beliefs. I don't know if that would happen in Canada because we don't have a, like, a de- as defendable uh, right to a firearm as the U.S. has. We technically should because we do have the right to self-defense uh, under the char- charter, but the way that we treat it is more of a... Well, you can use it, but it's better if you didn't really, like, call the police and let them deal with it. No offense to the police, but in violent crimes, you guys are more often than not clean-up squads. And that's terrible for you and terrible for us. It's terrible for us because that means that sometimes you don't get there fast enough and the murders already happen. And frankly, a lot of murders happen without anybody knowing about it for a while because communication and some people are bad who deal with bad elements in this world and some people just you know don't have a social structure around them so when they go missing for 10 days it's not a nor- it's not an unusual thing uh but and I know that some cops also honestly believe that they are more of a cleanup squad than they are a uh police force they do as much preventative stuff as they possibly can do and there's certain rights that they can't violate to be more like to to actually have the police be a perfectly preventative force to stop crimes from happening. You almost have to instigate the idea of pre-crime, which means that before somebody's committed a crime, you're already charging them with it, which is a um, which basically says that they're a defeatist person, and no matter what, they'd always take the bad choice, which is a socially oppressive point of view. 
which leads to extremely bad social cohesion in the long run. Well, let's end. Let's end the guns and let's end the. Uh, let's end with that. Uh, let's end that segment. So another thing going on. Well, Calgary, we've got uh, smoke coming in from BC and from Washington State, and you know we're having some big fires out there. And of course, California has its largest single wildfire in its recorded history. And a good amount of those fires that are going on in California were set by people. Somebody throwing a cigarette out window of their car some uh i think there was one uh san francisco paralegal uh like there was one uh i don't know if this is uh still still evidence but uh there was one where a uh a paralegal may have started a a uh, San Francisco lawyer, lawyer uh, may have started a fire. I'm not 100 sure if that's still true or not. Uh, it was in the news. Uh, ooh. Okay, so one was an accident where it was material. Okay. Hmm. No, I. Okay, this let's look at the San Francisco comp. So yeah, while so there was one, there was another one where one guy intentionally set fire around his property and it threatened. So I know that one. Um, uh, he has a history since 1996. He's threatened to burn the properties around his place down, and he's consistently had negative communication with the fire chief and the police chief, and the fire chief and other people around him have been saying like, we got to detain this guy because eventually he's going to start a fire. Well, they're sure he did start a fire and damaged property. And of course, the ignition point was found at his property, but his, uh, his house was the only thing that wasn't burned down in the area. So you get people like that, and then you get people throwing cigarettes off, or off out of their cars. You get flat tires uh, igniting sparks. Uh. Now, that, that there, no, no, the flat tire here, um, there's, cause there's one that talks about uh, somebody with a tire trailer that that um, you know, had a flat tire that denied sparks. Like that's completely accidental, and I understand that. Like that is uh, as terrible as that is. You can't really blame the people for that too much, because you know that's almost that, that's not. An, I guess you wouldn't call it an act of God, but how often do you think your tire is going to go flat in your trailer and that's going to start a fire? It's probably super rare, but it does happen. But can they be completely blamed for property damage? Like. Maybe, but maybe they didn't even know. Maybe the first chance they did, they stopped and tried to solve it. And at that point, the spark had already started to fire, and they're like, "Oh man!" Now, granted, if they didn't call anyone and explain that they had explained that they noticed it and just drove away and left it unreported after seeing it, like you'll have to prove that in court. But that's that's the you know that's the evil thing about that. But yeah, we got smoke here in Calgary coming for it. In fact, um, we have a. our health air quality um, was considered 10 plus today, which is extremely polluted, not safe. And um, according to Google, we are at the U.S. Uh, the U.S. measure for us has us at like uh, air quality. <laughs> the uh, Calgary uh, is uh, very unhealthy. Uh, which is uh, 
210, which is to avoid long and intense outdoor activity. Uh, you know, it's just very high, and it's not good. <laughs> and it's going to remain high for the next few days. Uh, basically, the only way this is going to be wiped out is either the fires stop, which that's hard to do. That's hard to stop forest fires on a dime. You kind of just can't do it. You're hopeful. Um, the only way that really happens is if a giant rainstorm comes and cools them off with enough water or the rain blasts the, uh, you know, I guess blasts the dust out of the sky part in between us and gives us clear air. And the wind flow is just bad because it's now extend, extending all the way across Saskatchewan and pretty much all the way across Manitoba. And I, I don't know if it's reaching into Ontario yet. It wasn't yesterday, and it wasn't the day before. It wasn't on Wednesday, and I don't think it was on Thursday, on Tuesday. So we'll see. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's an eerie time right now. So I think that that's most of it. Uh, oh yeah, I, yeah. Also another thing. Um, I've been playing Far Cry Five recently. Uh, which has been pretty fun. It's uh, my roommate's uh, copy. He's lent to me on my PlayStation f- on the PlayStation Four. I like it. Uh, it's pretty fun. Um, the story is actually really good. The characters are very well fleshed out. I'm also, and that's been mostly what I've been doing. Uh, finally finished off the main campaign of the of Legend of Zelda: uh, uh, Breath of the Wild. I'm starting to do some of the expansion pack stuff. So that's my video game stuff. Uh, what else? Um, Shenmue 1 and 2 remaster. Uh, let's just make sure it should come out. Uh, uh, they should be coming out uh, on... Uh, yeah. Shenmue 1 and 2 will be coming out on August 21st worldwide on PC, uh, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. Interesting. So they'll be coming out soon, both physical and uh, digital online copies. So that's coming out next week. That's something to look forward to. Uh, Shenmue 1 and 2. Now, I have a copy of Shenmue 1 and 2, uh, one on the Dream- Shenmue 1 for the Dreamcast, Shenmue 2 on the uh, Xbox. Haven't played the Xbox One yet, haven't finished the one Dreamcast yet, so... Uh, it'll be fun to play those, but if I, but I might actually just for the sake of compatibility and easiness and how I like my PC playing, I'm probably just going to play them both on PC and we'll see when Shinmu 3 comes out, what's coming on. Also another thing, Ace Combat, uh, let's see what the Ace Combat Reddit's got going on just for a quick little, uh, sneak in there, there. Cause we know that, uh, well, a few days ago, the Ace Combat, uh, So in about seven days, Gamescom, we're supposed to get it. I don't think that we're going to get a major... We might get a release date, but we might not. The uh, Ace Combat Facebook uh, page did say that your patience will soon be rewarded. And people were asking, like, is this game going to come out? Like, Ace Combat 7, release unknown. Is this actually going to be released? Because it was supposed to be released uh, uh, October, November 2017. And then they decided to push it back. They said, like, no, we're actually going to release it in 2018. And, you know, a delayed game is can be great. A bad game is bad forever. Delayed game's annoying until it's released, though. Uh, so 
I'm really hoping it, it, it's going to come out and it would be really, really, really cool if after Ace Combat 7 comes out, we find out that 4, 5, 0, and 6 are being remastered for the new systems. I don't think we're going to see that. Although it would be really, really nice to see that uh, come out. Mostly because, uh, you know, Ace Combat 4, 5, and 0 are amazing games on the PlayStation 2. And they've never been ported to anything else. The only way you could play them on HD consoles was if you had the first generation of PlayStation 3, which allowed, which had the emulation to do that. Of course, you wouldn't see that much graphical improvement anyway, because they are only 480p games. But uh, the potential of seeing them uh, remade in a just absolutely phenomenally nice, uh, you know, current generation graphic style on the Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. See, like having 0, 4, 5, and 6. Like 6 is the only one that has 1080p graphics. I think it's actually more like it's close to 1080p. It may not be. It may be 720p. It looks it still looks it looks really crisp, but you can still see um in the effects of uh missile fire on the uh PlayStation uh I mean on the Xbox uh, 360 how it's not absolutely perfect but it's pretty damn good uh but so we'll uh we'll uh we'll know when it's uh coming out like Gamescom is between the 21st and the 29th so we'll see what happens with that uh if uh they tell us early on the 21st or if they tell us at the end of Gamescom like hey it's coming out September or October we really love a September release uh specifically so that well, in October, I have time to play it because I'm probably not going to have a lot of time in September because September is pushing a lot of projects back. Like, I know uh, there were some plans I had for this, which I hadn't, like, I was tentatively going to start, um, you know, sort of getting out with the uh, guests, pushing that back. Uh, I'll be contacting, uh, hopefully I'll be contacting them soon. And we'll we'll see. Um but here's hoping it's soon. The wait is almost over, and of course, uh, Ace Combat 7 coming out soon is sooner than the glacier is melting, uh, sooner than a nuclear missile blowing up my city, uh, sooner than probably Armageddon and, and uh, you know, what's described in the Book of Revelations happening. I mean, hopefully, I cross my fingers on that one, because... You know, that soon can mean imminent or a long time. That's one of the few soons. It's like, he is coming back soon. How soon is that? But he is coming soon. His return is imminent. Uh, so, you know, I think that's pretty good for an hour, almost. Uh, you know, we had a little Ace Combat news, had a little video game news, had a little uh, political news, had a, you know, a good discussion. Um, the concern about the social media platforms are something that we have that I plan to get, get more into and the idea of distribution of the networks. And I, I guess I should also say that uh, probably that should also be talked about in the in various other fields, not just social media, but how in we're seeing in many, many, many digital spaces how only a few companies really dominate the marketplace and how dangerous that is over the long term. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. This has been Pickle That C Procrastinates, episode 15 of Stories from the CRISPR Drawer. Thanks for listening. Bye.